You're listening to Seattle Real Estate Podcast. There's a big shift happening in the real estate market. This is one of those headlines where you're like, really? Is it really a big shift? Uh, it actually, relative to where we've been and where we are and where we're probably moving forward, this is a pretty significant shift. And it's been happening, I think, since the beginning of May, right around Mother's Day. We kind of talked about with a number of my brokers here in, in the Seattle area. It's like, ah, yeah, Mother's Day was kind of when we started to see things ease up a little bit. This is still not a buyer's market. This is still heavily weighted in the seller's favor. But we do have a big shift happening in the housing market. That's what we're talking about today. What is it? That's what we're going to cover. Before we jump on in, if you're new here, my name is Sean Reynolds. I own a couple of real estate companies. I own a real estate brokerage, the managing broker of that. And I also own a real estate appraisal company. But more importantly, I read the news. Let's do that. Okay. So this is a fortune article. Uh, and again, it's titled, there's a big shift happening in the housing market. I'm getting requests for people who want to, um, to reread these articles. And sometimes we'll put in the links, oftentimes not, because if you're watching it on YouTube, you can see, or if maybe you're listening to the audio podcast and you really want to see what the article was, it's on the YouTube because, uh, we've got a screenshot of, of each article I read. Breakneck. That's the best way to describe the pace of the 2021 housing market breakneck. There is nothing more boring than reading statistics about real estate. So I appreciate it when an author throws in some good adjectives and just how are things going? They're going at a breakneck pace. The bidding wars got so intense this year that home price growth set an all-time record. Now we're talking, we got stuff going on, all-time record, best year ever. But the tide is turning. Uh-oh. Tide was coming in. Now it's going out. How far is it going to go out? Are there going to be bargains out there? Don't think so. The rush of buyers into the housing market during the pandemic absolutely crushed housing inventory. So remember back January and February of 2020, we came into the pandemic with, with record low levels of inventory. What we thought was going to be the lowest levels of inventory ever, ever seen in our markets. Yeah, they got way worse, just fewer and fewer homes. The number of homes on the market with that figure falling for 12 consecutive months. I mean, it was it was just crazy, right? Tons of buyers came into the marketplace. And yet fewer and fewer homes were listed. By April, housing inventory was down a staggering 53% from a year earlier. However, the trajectory has flipped. Uh-oh, we've got a reversal. For two straight months, the number of homes for sale has gone up. Homes listing on Realtor.com rose 3% in May, then again by 9% in June. But that's not all. We learned last week that new home sales are falling. Their pace in June was the slowest since the onset of the pandemic. Every indication of the market is shifting in a bit in the buyer's favor. I wouldn't necessarily say this is shifting in the buyer's favor because the buyers are still, they're still competing. They're just not competing against quite as many buyers. So the, 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 the intensity of the competition is less, less. So it is shifting, but this is still not a buyer's market is kind of the bottom line here. Sellers are still 
wildly have the upper hand just because there's such limited inventory. Why the sudden cooling? Well, home shoppers are finally showing some reluctance to pay top dollar. And by top dollar, we mean anything that a seller comes up with, because we've got sellers, we're working on, on listings right now where sellers are just flat out greedy. And if you overprice your home, it's not going to sell. That can be said of any real estate market, right? And if you overprice your home, and you get very few uh, calls on it, or you get very few showings on the property, and you're in an area with limited inventory, guess what? Either there's something weird wrong with the house, or it's overpriced, or it could be a combination of the two, right? Because there's always a buyer out there for every single home, no matter what, there is a buyer out there, you just have to find that sweet spot where you've got at least one buyer. The housing market was so hot, was, was too hot for its own good over the past year. And we've seen some buyers bump up against an invisible price ceiling. They're balking. They're balking at the price level set on current housing. Some people can afford it. Doesn't matter if it's too expensive, you know, what, what most people would consider too, too expensive. But a lot of folks, you know, if you're on a budget and you make XYZ number of dollars, and your loan officer at your mortgage brokerage company or whatever your bank tells you you can afford this and pricing still keeps going up after a while you're like all right i don't want to live an hour and 15 minute drive from my commute to to my job wherever that is i'm just going to keep renting i'm going to keep renting closer in wait for this market to cool off all right is it going to cool off enough to make up for the difference of a slower appreciation rate over the next coming months, maybe even in through 2022. That's a guessing game. And I still think we're going to have some pretty good appreciation. So housing market too hot for its own good over the past year, some buyers bumping up against an invincible price ceiling, Ollie Wolf, the chief economist at Zonda, a housing market research firm tells fortune, a Zonda survey of home builders last month finds that 61% of builders are seeing more resistance from home buyers. Pricing got too high. Overpriced. Overpriced. That's where we're at. You can only push those pricing that pricing for so long. And then you're in a position where Oh, I guess I we need to take a hard look at the market and go, all right, do these numbers make sense? Are we in line with the market? Because if you are having a tough time selling a home in this market in 2021, yeah, your home is probably overpriced. That's the bottom line, right? That's the bottom line. That's what you need to face. This buyer hesitation was expected. After all, home prices can't continue to grow at 17% year over year rate indefinitely. And here in the Seattle market, we've grown faster than that. It's just been, it's been an incredible run. And with that comes, you know, it's going to come with some slowing down because it can't keep going at, you know, 100 miles an hour for that long before it overheats. And people are like, hey, driving too fast for too long. You need to slow this bad boy down. Here's how we do that. Yeah, we're not making an offer on that house overpriced. That's exactly what we're seeing right now. And people are like, well, why isn't my home selling? Well, you put it on for too much. Builders, you've stretched those pricing levels too much. I mean, we've seen just some insane numbers, whether you're building the exact same home on the exact same basic lot, and yet you're charging XYZ, you know, exponentially more. 
that can only go on for so long. Here we are. At the end of the day, household budgets can stretch only so far. And buyers, even if there isn't much inventory out there, they're not going to look at something that's two, three, four hundred thousand dollars over list price, over where it should be. They're not going to, they're not going to, you know, make a run at that, a, a realistic run. They're going to be like, well, we think it's worth this. We're going to put an offer in at this. And that's where you are. So if you're getting lowball offers, you know, maybe that's just a lowball offer or your house isn't worth what you think it is. You know, that try for the moon approach, we're seeing that fail miserably right now. Because that's where we're at. We're at a, a crossroads of, uh, of the kind of market where, where we're at. Housing inventory plunged during the pandemic, but it's finally starting to tick up. And I think a lot of sellers don't want to hear that because who does? Hey, you blew your timing. You should have put it on six months earlier. All right, but we weren't ready. We weren't ready. You know, we hadn't made our move yet. We didn't know where we're going to go. Now we're putting it on. And people have so much of an idea in their head of, I can get this, I can get this, I've got a lotto ticket, I can get this, I can get this. And then when they put their home on the market, and it doesn't sell, and it doesn't get much activity, they're like, what happened? Well, you overpriced it. Builders, you're overpricing some of this stuff. It's where we are. So you're going to have to, and it's that push-pull type deal where, okay, we're going to have to make some adjustments. Homes are still selling. If you adequately price your home, it is still selling fast. Maybe not as fast as it would have before. Maybe not as with many offers. Maybe not as far over list price as you were expecting, or maybe not even over list price at all. But you're still getting like an offer, at least one offer within a week or 10 days, which some people are flipping out. I've got brokers flipping out saying, it's been two days and I don't, I only have one offer, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, well, that's pretty good. And they're like, but I thought we'd get just a flurry of offers. Markets changed. There's a shift in the housing market and more cooling could be on the way. As Fortune reported last week, the pace of real estate sales might slow as the last of the stimulus protections begin to lapse. I wish the stimulus protections were beginning to lapse, but it's we still just keep going. This moratorium, that's just going on forever, even though it's ba- you know based on uh, legal aspect, it's flat not legal at this point in time. We'll have to wait to get a, a, a ruling. But um, yeah, even the president has said, oh, we're not really sure if this is legal or not, but you know, because we're trying to help a lot of people, it makes it okay to do an illegal move or possibly a legal move. The foreclosure moratorium, which prevented foreclosures on federally backed mortgages, came to an end on July 31st, and then it was immediately reinstated, even though the Supreme Court said, mm, probably not legal. Well, let's just give this a run again. It's, it's there's lawsuits already by the Association of Apartment um, Owners. Uh, that's the first lawsuit that I know of. They're basically suing and saying, hey, this isn't legal. And it's probably not legal. But it'll buy the government enough time to figure out how to get that $47 billion, get a little bit more than the 3 billion out of that fund into actual landlords hands so they can pay off some of this, you know, just incredible amount of back rent that's owed that people are afraid of, okay, well, if these tenants get booted out, we're going to put a couple million people on the streets. We don't want to see that either. 
but it's time for the eviction moratorium to be sunsetted. Need to rip that band-aid off and let's go. Next up will be the Federal Mortgage Forbearance Program, which allows some borrowers to pause their payments. It lapses on September 30th. All right. That one, I, that one, I don't have an issue with at all. The mortgage forbearance program, it acts in such a way that it, and, and most lenders, whether there's a forbearance program or not, they learned, or because they're in business now, and a lot of lenders were not in business after the Great Recession, big lenders learned that foreclosing on a property is not the way to go. You're going to make a lot more money if you don't foreclose and if you work with the uh, homeowner that's behind on their mortgage payments and you don't kick them out because big lenders aren't in the business of taking properties back, fixing them up and selling them. They lose their rear end doing that. So then they got to hire people. I mean, the Great Recession was just a nightmare of short sales and foreclosed properties. And there was a lot of bargains out there. That's why you got these big companies coming through and just buying enormous swaths of real estate, because it made sense. Because it made sense. We didn't know when the turnaround was going to happen, but it happened a lot faster than people would have predicted, right? So the forbearance program, you don't make your payment at you know, a certain point, And maybe then you start making payments. And your mortgage company basically tax onto the end of your mortgage. So when you go to sell it, you catch up on that portion of the payment then, but you don't have to pay it right now today. You don't have to bring the loan current. So that's how forbearance basically works. And I think the whole forbearance thing, that's why you haven't seen a lot about that in the media is because people who maybe lost their job due to COVID or whatever it is, they can basically call up their mortgage company and they can work something out. You can work something out because of what we learned through the Great Recession. So so that forbearance program still protects 1.75 million borrowers or 3.5% of US mortgages. It's not a huge number, but if you had the 1.7 million borrowers get evicted on top of the couple million tenants who are behind on rent, Maybe it's 11 million. You see numbers all over the board, right? I think it's like a couple million. Um, But I think most landlords who are owed rent are trying to figure out, am I going to get any money? Am I going to get some some of that cold, hard fed cash that's floating around out there that I can't seem to get my hands on? I think a lot of landlords are waiting on that. Um, And they might be waiting a while because this money, the 47 billion has been out there for a long time. There's just no real mechanism to get it in the hands of individual states, state governments, and individual cities and their governing governance. So homeowners still hurting financially could opt to sell their home rather than restart their mortgage payments. They might, but then they've got to go somewhere else, right? They've got to go buy somewhere else. And oftentimes with forbearance, it impacts your, and don't quote me on this, <laughs> um, Talk to your mortgage guy, talk to your CPA. But when you do a forbearance, I believe it shows up on your credit. So you've got some kind of ding on your credit. If that is not true, let me know. But anytime you stop making payments, typically it goes on your credit. And that's what happens in the forbearance process. So then those folks are going to have a harder time qualifying for a loan on their next house. So yeah, they might sell their home and maybe opt to rent because so many sellers have equity in their homes and they're able to move on. So the big difference between today's market 
and the Great Recession, you know, 05, 06, 07. And when things really started to hit the road in 07, 08, as far as just teetering, a lot of folks didn't have much equity. Now sellers have a lot of equity. And so they can sell, get out. And it's not a short sale. It's not a foreclosure. But cooling doesn't mean home prices will fall. And that is kind of what I'm telling everybody. Hey, the cooling you're going to see isn't a decline. It's a decline in appreciation. Market's still going up, but at a slower rate. That's what you're seeing. In fact, the research firm CoreLogic forecasts home prices will climb another 3.2% by June 2022. All right, that's a national number. So you're going to have some markets that are going to do really well. And you're going to have some markets that are like, ah, yeah, not as good. Um, but I, I see way greater than the 3.2% national appreciation rate. I, I'm seeing way higher than that. But that's just kind of what I think the numbers are. Obviously, CoreLogic, they crunch their numbers based on all their data. Um, it's based on the data and the science. How many times do we hear that and look for the data and the science go, I am not seeing that same conclusion. I don't really see the data and the science behind this decision. Whew. But with housing numbers, you can actually you can actually wrap your head around some data, as opposed to a lot of the other issues out there right now that were like, what? We're doing what because of what? That makes no sense. Make no mistake, the article continues, this is still a seller's market. And that's what I have to tell my brokers and the sellers who are thinking, but I should be able to get two, 300,000 more than what I'm getting. Well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe your list price is too high. Oh, that's not good. Maybe you blew it. Maybe you came up with a number that was just so pie in the sky and you thought, well, even if I take a little bit less, I'll be okay. You might have to take a lot less because you were way over what the market will support for your home. That's just kind of the reality of where we're at with this shift in the marketplace. And buyers, they're not dumb. They've been trying to, you know, play catch up and 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 get a home. That's what they're trying to do. But when they see a home that's wildly overpriced or they see a development, they're they're like, hey, yeah, not as much. That's what we're talking about right now. It's important to note that many homes are still selling almost as quickly as they hit the market. That is true. If it's priced where the market says it should be priced, there's still a lot of buyer demand out there. The difference today is that there's been ever so slight softening in the number of homes undergoing a bidding war or selling above the ask price. Some homes are now selling below ask price. Normal market right? You got something that's way overpriced. All right, you get a lowball offer. Well, maybe it's in between your pie in the sky pricing and that lowball offer. It's somewhere probably in the middle, right? Because if somebody sees a property in the market, and they're like, wow, that is wildly overpriced. I'm going to throw a lowball in. And oftentimes somebody will, maybe they'll, you know, they take a flyer and they're like, okay, let's make an offer on this. Let's just see if we can get them to respond. Let's see what they respond at. See that pretty often. And that's not a bad strategy. If you're a buyer and you've got a unique home that you're looking at and it hasn't hasn't sold and it's been on the market for a little while, hasn't obviously had that much interest, throw out a lowball, see what happens. This is kind of that transition point in the marketplace where this kind of stuff is going on. The reason that research firms like CoreLogic think prices can go higher boils down to demographics. 
we're in the middle of a five year period, where the largest tranche of millennials, those born between 1989 and 1993, are hitting their 30s, the age when first time home buying really kicks into gear. So I am around a ton of millennials just because of my kids, my kids, friends, single dad, we've got millennials that work for me, millennial brokers that are very successful. And they're in that position where they're like, okay, I've actually got some money saved up. I'm making decent enough money to afford something. When I see millennials start uh, looking at buying million dollar homes, and I'm like, ah, that's too much. But then I'm, you know, faced with the fact that million bucks doesn't really get you that great of a home anymore. It's like, okay, yeah, you're paying a million for that. Mm, okay. But that just makes me old, right? That should be $120,000 and your mortgage payments should be $600 a month and taxes should be $100 a month. That just makes me old. It's like, ah, oh, he's that old guy talking, you know, old numbers that don't really make sense. Get out of the way and let somebody new come in. All right, so million bucks. Let's talk about a million bucks. That's, you know, what in big cities, that's pretty normal. That just, to me, it's like, oh, wow, really? Because million bucks, I remember appraising my first home for probably eight or 900,000 and uh, thinking this is going to be a phenomenal home. And it was. And, and in Seattle market, we had very few homes over a million bucks when I started in uh, in the 80s. It just it wasn't a thing. You know, out of California, you heard about it all the time. You know, certain markets of um, of the East Coast, you'd hear that as well. You know, a million bucks, here's what you get. But now a million bucks, it's like, whew. So going back to the millennials, the millennials are in a position where they're able to buy and you're seeing more and more of that. And you're seeing more and more millennials who want to get in because they have seen the run in real estate. And they think I want to get on that train too. They also see the run in the stock market. And um, with all the apps and stuff out there, I think there's a lot of investors, a lot of a lot of millennial investors. And hey, if you can make that work, time the market, whatever, good for you. I just don't have the patience for that stuff. Have you checked? Have you checked that stock in the last 30 seconds? Because if you haven't, it might have tanked and then you need to unload it. Have you checked? Have you checked that position? I just don't have I just don't have the desire to do that. And so I'm more of a longer, you know, term investment. Plus, I just I just don't want to deal with that stuff, you know, having a massive position and all right, are we going to lose 50 grand today? I don't know. Let's find out. Let's open up that ticker and see what happened. Hmm. Nah, that's just I, I just, you know, at age 52, I don't want to do that. And uh, I don't need to do that. But I think millennials, they're all about that. Good on them because there will be lessons learned there too. Hey, what goes up sometimes can go down as well, sometimes faster going down than up. But those, you know, those are stock market lessons. And if you're in the stock market, if you're in the housing market, you're going to figure it out one way or the other. That's the beauty of how this goes, right? So we're in the middle of the five year period where the largest tranche of millennials who are born between 1989 and 1993 are hitting their 30s. My oldest son is 28. And um, yeah, he's been kicking around buying a home. He could easily buy one. He he just doesn't want the responsibility. Maybe he'll wife somebody up at some point. I don't know. But um, yeah, he's been kicking that around. My youngest son, 25, not quite there yet, but um, certainly kicking it around, thinking about it. It's just here in Seattle, things are so expensive. Do you want to live an hour and a half away? And 
you know, um, commute into work or commute wherever, because that's what you can afford. Maybe you move to Texas. That's a thought that's been kicked around. Those of you out there I've had that conversation with. Yeah, that is a plan. That is one way to do it. So between 89 and 93, they're hitting their 30s, the age when first time home buying really kicks into gear. And it's interesting watching this generation of, of uh, you know, 20 somethings hitting 30 something. They, they go from just goofing around partying, you know, college to all of a sudden getting married. And then you know, they start off with like a pet, maybe it's a dog, a cat. And then they they ramp up their career, they're making some money. And then all of a sudden, hey, we're gonna have a kid. No, we need a house for our kid. We need something more than an apartment. We want a backyard for our little Johnny or little Susie to run around in. And it just it just happens so fast. It's it's really it's fun to see. Um, it's wild to see because then it means you're old when you've got kids doing that, right? And so we've got a so we've got these millennials coming out in droves buying homes. And that's something home builders haven't been preparing for have not. And it's not that they haven't wanted to prepare for it. It's just that the market has been elsewhere, they've been reacting to that. And we had a little thing called the Great Recession, which uh, put a lot of builders out of business and the ones that made it through pretty scarred had a tough time. A lot of builders retired, developers retired, got a new generation of them out there. But we just haven't built enough homes. That's the bottom line. During the 2010s, home building tanked as builders struggled with the financial scars of the 2008 housing bubble and subsequent foreclosure crisis. Not to mention the housing market is still benefiting from the perfect storm created by the pandemic. Recession induced low mortgage rates, coupled with remote workers who are willing to uproot in pursuit of affordable real estate. So you've got a bunch of different things happening that have happened. And now the market is kind of correcting itself. But the the over the overlying concept here is that you still don't have enough homes on the market and you won't because of that inelasticity of the housing market, especially new construction, it takes so long to buy a piece of dirt, cut it up, develop it, pay for it, stay in business, and then start building homes. That takes so long in most metropolitan markets. Now you might say, well, well, let's just speed that up. Good luck with that, I say, because government doesn't want to speed up anything right? That's not the whole goal here. The whole goal here with government is to I don't know what the, the, the in regards to housing, it doesn't seem like it's there to help anything out. You've got a housing, you know, supply crisis. And yet the government's like, ah, we're going to need to charge you more. And this is going to take longer. And you're going to like it because you don't have any options. That's literally what's happening. You've got some some markets where they're, they're, they're talking about, well, let's do this and let's do this. Hey, let's just upzone all single family home neighborhoods. Let's upzone. That'll really help things out. No, uh, no. You've got growth management acts in place to make growth happen along these trajectories where everything is considered. The amount of traffic on the streets, the utilities that you need for developments, the infrastructure, the number of stores, all of a sudden you put in a million extra units and you wonder why grocery stores in the area can't keep things in stock. Hmm. 
It's because you kind of overrode that whole management act, the growth management act that most cities have. And you didn't really pay attention to urban land dynamics. That's where the whole upzoning thing is going to go wildly sideways if that happens in, in as many markets as people are talking about. Because people who talk about that stuff, I don't have a problem with an ADU type unit or something in a backyard. But if you're talking about taking, uh, you know, single family zone lots and, you know, putting a fourplex or an eightplex on there, mm, yeah, that's not going to work out. That's uh, not going to end up well. And those are the ideas that are put forth by people who have no business putting forth those kind of ideas. They just say, ah, this will work out good. Good luck uh, to you on those concepts. That will not work out at all. And um, yeah, that whole upzoning thing in the single family, mm, that's a hard no-go for me. There's zoning for a reason. You've got areas. All right, here's your areas for your apartment complexes. Those are areas infrastructure is set up to handle said multiple, you know, anything over a fourplex because residential one to four units, all right, anything over four units, commercial. And that's why there are areas where that's where you're supposed to build those. You start monkeying with that, you're going to have a tough time. So bottom line, we're not building enough homes. You're still going to have a supply shortage. Even if interest rates bump up, people still need housing. We don't have enough housing out there. It's been wildly apparent. So, so what we're experiencing here is we're experiencing a little bit more supply and a little bit of a softening to the real estate market. And compared to where we were, that is a huge, huge shift. It's a shift that's actually happening. And it's been happening here for a few months. So, you know, here we are. Media is actually, actually recognizing it. All right, here we go. So, yep, this will be an ongoing story because it is. It's just real estate market is ongoing, right? I will cover it for you right here in the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. It'll be interesting to see this fall and into winter. I think the supply um, with the Delta variant, I think your interest rates are going to remain low. They've already come down. So there is a ton of activity happening We've, on the appraisal end of things, on the, on the buy and sell end of things. It's it's still busy. If you've if you've you priced your home right, it's still busy. If you're a buyer looking at a home that's, you know, in a cookie cutter type neighborhood and it's priced well, you're going to be in some competition, but not as much as you were, maybe 60 days ago, something like that. Um, this fall, I think you'll see much of the same of what we're experiencing right now. Interest rates will bump up, they'll bump down, they'll bump up, they'll bump bump down, but for the most part, they'll be on a historical basis super low. And we're not going to have anything that's really going to bring much supply to the marketplace. So much of the same at a slightly lower, slower pace, which, yeah, it's a huge shift. All right. That's it for me on this one. Thanks so much for being here. I'll catch up with you on the next one. Until then, stay safe. We'll talk then. Bye for now. to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you'll know when our next video is out.